0: Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the VC Pruner podcast, a podcast that provides a unique perspective of the startup world through the lens of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. I'm your host Dikjay, and today I have with me Shruti Gandhi, founder and managing partner at Array Ventures. Array is an early stage VC fund that invests in enterprise tech startups, solving problems using big data, artificial intelligence and machine learning for large industries. Shruti has a strong mix of operating and investing experience under her belt. Prior to founding Array, Shruti was a tech investor at True Ventures, Samsung Electronics, Lightbank, Bar Partners, and the I2A Fund. Shruti started her career with IBM as a software engineer and later founded her own big data company Pensive in 2010. In this episode, Shruti talks about her path leading up to venture capital, the evolution of Array's enterprise tech thesis, How engaging with potential customers can help early stage startups validate their product and help VCs to support their investment decision. What founders should focus on before thinking about going global, differentiating oneself as an emerging VC, staying ahead of the curve in enterprise tech and more. I had a lot of takeaways from my chat with Shruti and I hope you enjoy this conversation too. So, without much ado, let's jump in and find out what Shruti has to share. Hey, Shruti, welcome to the VC Pruna podcast. Very excited to have you with us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Dijay. Excited to share what I've learned.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, for, for our listeners who don't know you yet, uh, maybe we can start with a brief background about yourself. Tell us about your path leading up to our Ventures. And I know there are multiple steps that you went through, you know, as an operator, founder, and then as an investor.
1: Yeah, you summarized that. So, I was an engineer for a decade, was a founder for a couple of years, and then went into venture and it's been another decade of doing venture now. Um, I worked at a few firms and then about five years ago started Array Ventures. Um, Array focuses on enterprise companies. We write first check. So, you know, same as the angel round, not not institutional check, right? And uh, we like taking the company from the zero to one journey. We focus on data, AI, machine learning companies, so infrastructure, security um, and other B2B companies in the, in the infrastructure and the middle layer of the, of the stack. Um, And yeah, and I, and I've been uh, loving this journey. I love working with founders who are just beginning to start their companies from the zero stage. And then when they move on to something bigger, it makes me feel really special that I was part of that journey.
0: Awesome. Thanks for that background. You know, if you could tell us more about Array Ventures, you know, tell us about the fund size and, and the thesis that you have at Array.
1: So Array is on fund three. Uh, we're going to be launching fund three next year, basically. And we are a enterprise data ML fund. We write first checks into the companies and uh, we like leading. So we'll usually write a million dollar average check Um, anywhere from 250k to a million, depending on how much the companies are raising, obviously. But ideally, the founders are raising anywhere from one to $2 million. And we like to take majority of that round. So so then our our check size is dictated based on that. Um, When companies come to us, they're just being formed. They haven't really been around a long time. Uh, I just wrote a term sheet in a company that's about to close soon, where the founders hadn't even quit their jobs, but they already were working on it, moonlighting, and they had a few customers interested. That's a profile of the founders and the companies we're interested in. We like investing in founders that are doing their work beforehand and then validating their ideas. And then from there on, um, you know, leaving their jobs and beginning to start a company once there is like a sure path of what kind of customer is going to buy their product. I don't need the whole product market fit to be figured out, but I do need some pre-work to be done from, by founders before they start the company.
0: Got it. And you mentioned the word customer, you know, a few times, uh, and I want to come to that. Uh, but before that, if you could, you know, dive a bit deeper and tell us the broad thesis, is of course, AI, data, ML, um, how has that evolved, you know, from your fund one to fund three? And what are the specific sectors within those broader themes that you're looking at uh, today
1: well what have ha- what has happened is over the years we've had a evolution of companies that we call b2b and in the early days uh, the, so the way we describe the stack is the, as i mentioned the infrastructure the middle layer and the application layer um in the early days we invested in in the application layer as well so the application ai and i think At this point, we're less excited about that layer because we feel that most of the problems in that category can be invested by many other VCs. Um, We will invest in the application layer if it's very special, something different. But ideally, we like investing on the more API, security, infrastructure, um, data pipelines, databases kind of spaces that are more the back end for a lot of this data AIML companies.
0: Got it. And, and for the benefit of the listeners, could you uh, share, you know, why, why a specific focus on the backend uh, infrastructure now uh, and not so much on the application layer?
1: Well, there is just lots of innovation necessary in this space because we, you know, the, we've been talking about data and the rise of data for a long time now, but finally the infrastructure needs to catch up to that. So that's why I inv- like to invest in the backend of technology that can enable that trend.
0: Got it. Makes sense. All right. Uh, Coming to the point uh, about, you know, working with founders closely and you mentioned you like to work with them, uh, you know, at the earliest stages, uh, especially in the zero to one phase, and you try to connect them to customers from day one, sometimes even before you're investing in those founders, that definitely helps, you know, the founders in, in a big way because they can get feedback from customers and also assess how far away or how close are they to product market fit. Uh, but at the same time, it also helps you as a VC to, you know, aid your decision making uh, whether to invest in, in a startup or not. So, if you could tell us, you know, uh, how much importance do you place on on the feedback from customers, from potential customers, in your decision making to, you know, invest in a particular startup?
1: That's a good question. Uh, we are thesis driven, so oftentimes we like approaching a company based on our conviction in the space. Um, oftentimes, when we invest, there are no customers or non-existent customers or there's a potential customer um it, you know if they if they're just starting out and they if they have a customer that's miles ahead uh, for the founder than any other other folks and that maybe that's great uh end of the day customer is king if customers are willing to you know buy something down the road you know if they're saying that if you build this I'll buy in 6 months whatever it is that kind of shows that there's a real need in the market versus just me uh, you know, guessing or the founders kind of guessing that, right? And in the early days, the founders don't really have that many customers or maybe none, so then this is a great proxy for that kind of feedback. The recent investment I'm doing in DevOps companies, the founders, you know, already have five customers, um, which is which is amazing, but that's not necessary for us. Customer validation doesn't help us make a decision, it kind of is a Part of the checklist of things we do. That's not the. I mean, you know, we we can pass on a company even if the customer might like the company. Uh, So that's not the only thing we do. One of the major steps we do is oftentimes we'll ask if the customer founders have any customers we can chat with. But you know, there's never a time when founders have connected to us to a customer and and the customer has said anything negative. It's just not what happens cause it's early relationships and no one's going to say anything bad. So we tend to discount all that anyway um, in our work, but we do, we do do that as a checklist item, just, you know, from the purposes of just making sure we've done that. Uh, but, you know, that's a step for most of our investments. I, you know, happy to talk more about anything specific, but that's generally what we do for most of our company and investments we do.
0: Got it. And, you know, like I was referring to, I'm sure that helps the founders, you know, shape and build their product, especially since they're so early in their journey.
1: Yeah. As I said, we're happy to connect them to the customers, even if we don't invest.
0: So, you know, let me ask a follow up here. So, uh, like you said, you know, there are some startups who might not even have customers or potential customers ready. What's your evaluation framework like for those kind of startups that are, you know, very early, still in their build phase and uh, don't have potential customers at, at that point in time?
1: Well, what are they building? They must have talked to someone, right? That's the thing. We don't want to invest in anyone that hasn't kind of done any customer pre-leg work. Even if you're like a brilliant founder and if you haven't talked to five friends that said, I, I'm going to buy this when you have it ready, then that's like a red flag anyway. So we don't invest in anything that founders haven't done any validation. And that's what I mean by customers. It doesn't have to be current customers. It's potential future customers.
0: Okay. So let me switch gears here and, uh, you know, talk about, you know, companies thinking about going global and especially now in a post-COVID world uh, and especially in B2B, connecting and doing deals remotely has now become a norm, which wasn't easier earlier before the pandemic. And it's become relatively easy, I would say, to position yourself as a global company from day one. Uh, but a lot depends on, you know, the approach and execution of the founders and how how they, you know, go about building a global enterprise so from your experience of you know working uh, with founders in, in the b2b enterprise tech space what are some foundational steps that founders you think uh, need to focus on to build a truly global enterprise company
1: um i actually don't believe that it's uh, you know possible to build a global enterprise company from day one i just think that at an early stage it's a distraction to go after every market and every kind of compliance and every kind of need i think that happens in later stages as you start thinking about expansion in the early days we like our founders to focus on one or two problem areas ideally one and in, in, in a geography that they know well and can get at least 25 plus customers in that geography so i know there's a global mindset right now but i think that's a different it's more about how you build teams um but even then, I'm not fully sure where that trend goes because I don't think that's a new trend I've been familiar with. You know, I've been part of a lot of outsourcing trends and I, don't, I think you get burnt out very fast with many time zones. So I think, I'm not sure how that trend's going to really evolve, um, but there certain, it's certain that there are people that are going to hire uh, teams in different hubs. Maybe they won't hire people all around the world, but they might, you know, initially anyway. Uh, but but they're going to maybe have a few hubs. So we've always invested in those kinds of hubs like companies where we have teams maybe in the U.S. and Israel and India, and now we have teams in uh, Poland and a few other places. So definitely possible. Um, and I think so. there's two sides to this. Is it the customer that makes you global or is it the, your operations? I think we're talking about the operational trend of remote work and global remote work and day one. But I think customer side, it's kind of hard to focus on multiple markets from the beginning.
0: I think, I think that's an important perspective to look at, especially for founders. And you, know, you mentioned it, it could be a big distraction uh, for the founders you know, if they're trying to target uh, multiple markets at the same time, especially at the early stages. So that's definitely one of the you know, common mistakes uh, you know, founders could make in pursuit of going global, uh, which is the timing aspect of when to go global. Uh, but are there any other uh, mistakes that you've observed founders make, you know, after reaching the one to 10 stage from an enterprise perspective, they're ready to go and, uh, you know, go to different markets. But what could be the mistakes that they could make while doing so at even at that stage?
1: Um, I think it depends on how well do they know the, the target markets and how well are they able to hire the right talent in those target markets. If you think that your next set of customers are going to be in the U.S., um, you know, U.S. is a big geography, so where in the U.S. are we talking about? And do you have contacts in, let's say, it's in San Francisco and your customers are in San Francisco? Do you have a good Rolodex of people you can hire to build out a team here to sell to the customers here? Um, selling remotely is kind of hard, and, you know, uh, you can see remote work can fix that. But I, I think we're talking about, like, large contract sizes here, like six-figure-plus contract sizes you have to make the trip um, to understand fit, to meet different team members. And I think even if it's the last trip to kind of finalize the business, but end of the day, if you are not conveniently located in geography that you can fly from easily, or you are not able to build a team in the, in the, in the market you're trying to sell, then I think it's this, then founders are making a mistake of going into that market without knowing too much about it.
0: What do you think could be, you know, some foundational steps or um, checklist for that matter that, you know, founders should take before thinking about, you know, going within a specific foreign market?
1: Um, I would say the only big thing is first nail the market, you know, well, and then when you feel ready to go after the different market, make sure you have the cash to set up a new operation because um, it t- it's like it's, it takes time and money. To get a new market going, and so you have to kind of be ready to dedicate resources to that properly, and not do it haphazard.
0: Right. So, Shruti, I want to you know uh, switch gears here and um, talk about the VC aspect of things, and uh, you know your learnings as a VC over the years. So, investing and you know decision making uh, is just one aspect, you know, of your job of managing a VC fund. There are many other critical aspects that are not, you know, probably not much talked about that uh, GP needs to get right to build a high quality and a legacy VC fund. So what do you think are some of those aspects uh, and what do you think young VCs should focus on, especially uh, when they're starting out, you know, in the journey to start a new fund?
1: Honestly, I am too early to be able to tell you that. Uh, But what I've seen at different firms is founder friendliness, uh, humility, always be learning, curiosity, hustle. Those are exactly the kinds of things you need to continue to have, as a firm, to, to, build, um, to build a brand that is long-lasting. And in addition to that, you have to have a differentiated point of view. I think the reason why founders would come to you with a deal that no other fund's going to get or understand even if they do see that deal. So that's, what is that differentiation for yourself as a fund is the most important thing as well.
0: And, and what do you identify as, you know, the differentiating factor uh, for yourself at Array Ventures?
1: We're technical. We don't, you know, we don't really invest in, it, as I mentioned, all the things that other people try to invest in. Even if they say they, you know, if there are other VCs that say that are they're an enterprise fund, they 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 mean mostly application layer investments. Uh, we are very technical, deeply technical, to understand the infrastructure and middle layer investments. And there are not really many firms out there that invest this uh, in these spaces at our stage.
0: Right. And like you mentioned, you know, uh, the deep expertise, I think that that comes from your background, you know, both as an operator and a founder uh, in the space. And I think that's something that, you know, founders can appreciate when, you know, they talk to Array uh, for fundraising.
1: Yeah, I think so. Because they, when they come to us, oftentimes they're showing us features that you know, other VCs don't understand. And, and we do because of, of the background we have.
0: Absolutely. So a related point, right? Staying ahead as a VC is also important. You know, there's so much innovation happening at a rapid space, especially in, you know, data, AI, ML overall. As a VC, you have to constantly, you know, uh, keep ahead of the curve and keeping in mind the future use cases or the evolution of the market that you're, you know, investing in. So how do you you prepare yourself to stay ahead uh, uh, of the curve all the time and develop insights and viewpoints about what's going to be the future for for the market that you're investing in?
1: We talk to a lot of customers. We're always talking to a lot of operators that tell us what they need in the market. We continue to evolve our trends and and thinking based on lots of these conversations. Um, And then we're hungry. We're always learning for new information. Um, also, as a as someone who's worked in the space for a long time, I'm always trying to solve problems in the enterprise that I that I would have faced, or at least a new version of it. Um, so there's a lot of ways to go about it, but the the core of this is stay hungry and keep learning.
0: Got it. Um, you know, you spoke about uh, some of the learnings, and uh, you know how how VC funds and VCs could build a strong VC fund by focusing. Not just by differentiating themselves, but also supporting the founders in the right way, especially at the early stages. So, you know, another form of learning or feedback for a VC, you know, could be looking at your anti-portfolio. So could you share, uh, you know, any key startups that form a part of your anti-portfolio today? And um, is there a process that you, you know, try to revisit these deals uh, and try to optimize for your investment approach?
1: Um, anti-portfolio is a great way to learn, but you know, it's a a great way to figure out if you're going to, I mean, we're like a five year in fund still. So anti-portfolio doesn't mean much because most companies haven't, that we have not invested in have not gone IPO or something like that yet. So I wouldn't say that they're anti-portfolio yet, but, but there is definitely a lesson learned of how we could have acted. What could we have done better? How can we make our process better here? Um, and yeah, I think that's a, it's a good way to learn, you know, what, what we could have done differently with, with the deals that we passed or, you know, didn't act fast on
0: anything that you would do differently. You know, if you had to start uh, area ventures all over again today,
1: um, I'm not sure <laughs> it's <laughs> a, the, it's kind of hard to say that, um, end of the day you know, I would go with the current strategy we have right away, but it's hard to say that when your fund sizes are different. So I wouldn't say that there's anything different I would do. You just kind of work and stay agile and keep growing with, with the world. And that's, that's what we've always done. And I will continue to do that. So we will evolve. Yeah. And hopefully in the next couple of years, uh, we, we would have evolved our thinking in many different other ways.
0: Yeah, I think that that approach in itself, you know, talks about uh, the agility you have as a VC fund and, uh, you know, why founders would want to come and work with you, uh, especially when they don't have a, you know, very concrete business model or a very concrete product yet, but they can still work with you to to get to that stage uh, of venture building. Shruti, so tell us how has, you know, being a VC over the years uh, influenced your personality over the years? How has it shaped you as a person today?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, end of the day, decision-making needs to happen really fast. And you can't regret what decision you made at the time with the data and, not, and uh, data you had at the time, even if the company takes off or, or doesn't. Um, you made the best decision you could. So the personality-wise, I would say um, I've gotten better at decision-making faster with, with whatever data I had. And you learn to have no regrets around that.
0: Awesome. Uh, so Shruti, before uh, we, we end our conversation, any final thoughts for uh, you know, both current and aspiring founders who are listening to you?
1: You know, I think the theme that has come up again and again in my summary of this conversation is um, stay hungry, always keep learning. And I would I would add build an expertise that is unique to you, especially on the technical side. There are plenty of people out there that you know, are generalists, but very few people that can understand one or two areas really well. Um, And if you can do that, then you can build other expertise areas as well. But you don't need a PhD, but you just need a curious mind to be able to dig in deep into something and then have an opinion around it. Um, And not just kind of, you know, like the mistake I made early in my career would be I would synthesize all the information and then dump it on the person and say, here, you figure out what what needs to happen from this. And I think a smart person would synthesize all the information themselves and create a point of view and and have a recommendation that is sharp and clear. I have studied, for example, I've studied the database industry and I think so-and-so trend in the database space is valuable based on what I'm seeing in, in the market based on blah, blah, blah. And here are some of the companies that have done a great job of taking advantage of that trend. And if I were in the venture industry, I would solve for this X problem, which none of these companies are solving for. And we would succeed in making X a billion dollar company because of X. I and mean, that's the kind of thought process you need that is so sharp and thorough and not you know, not like haphazard and, 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 and random and, and not like just from reading one blog post, you know. And that's the kind of person we're hiring as well that is so thoughtful, has the space and knowledge and expertise and has the background. Um, and, and it's very hard to find uh, those unicorns.
0: Awesome. I think that's pretty helpful. Shruti, thanks a lot for, you know, taking our time today. Uh, really appreciate uh, your views and opinions and uh, thanks for answering our questions. And hopefully we'll have you back on the show soon again.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for all, this, all the deep uh, questions that we dig into today.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the VC Bruna Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let our guests know about it. Share your thoughts on social media and let them know what were your key takeaways. We would truly appreciate if you could subscribe to our podcast on the podcast platform of your choice and leave us a review on Apple iTunes. This will help others discover the podcast. To get insights and to learn more about startups and venture capital, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We will love to hear from you there. You can find all episodes together on our website, thevcpronor.com. We will be back again next week with another VCpronor that is making a dent in the venture universe. Until then, take care and keep shining.